Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce uh, in the host chair again, and of course joined by Christy Doran from Fox Sports, Code Sports, and the Fifteen. Uh, coming from, uh, coming to you from uh, my car today, given we've got renovations going on in the apartment uh, next door. Uh, Christy's in his office in Manly on a very uh, murky and wet uh, Sydney day. Christy, how are you, mate? Yeah, excellent. It's it's uh, it's great to see you in the car. <laughs> Feeling slightly cramped in my uh, my little Hyundai i30 but um you know anything for the content as the kids say these days so uh here we are uh moving with the times um mate, let's get into it uh of course uh super rugby pacific up and running uh round one over the weekend um i thought a, a pretty good start across the board uh of course the moana pacifica and blues game was postponed and and news just overnight as well that uh, moana pacifica's second game against the chiefs this weekend has also been postponed so there's certainly some some dramas in New Zealand. Uh, both New Zealand games were played, uh, of course, as part of that bubble down in Queenstown with um, the Hurricanes and Crusaders shifting down to Forsyth Bar for that match and Artie Sevilla hitting out of the travel. So the Kiwis have got a few issues to deal with over there at the moment. But, Christy, let's start in our backyard. Um, of course, Friday night, uh, the introduction of the Fijian Drua against uh, the Waratahs there at Combank Stadium. Um, I thought just a, a great event, great atmosphere in the crowd from a largely Fijian uh, contingent. Um, surprise, and, surprise. Uh, after days, it was about 538 days or something. Um, off the top of my head, that number might be slightly wrong. The Waratahs finally get a win. Uh, mate, what did you make of that game and uh, and the Waratahs win? Well, before we get there, Artie Sevilla and New Zealand, can't they really, like, complain? First world problems, isn't it? There's hardly been rugby games played on and, and poor old Artie's complaining about the length of the bus trip. Um, that rant over there. Uh, look, isn't it great to have Fiji in the competition? We heard and we saw and we got the feel of the flavour that they're going to produce. And once they actually start getting the cohesion levels together, um, uh, and, and build back-to-back performances. It's not going to ha- necessarily happen this year, but in the years to come, this is going to be great for Super Rugby because you know we've we've seen it. We've been at at, at, at sevens competitions around the world at time, and and who do you hear time and time again? It's the Fijians when they yes. come out. The Fijian support comes out, and it and it feels like you know they might only be ten thousand or five thousand Fijians in there, but it feels like twenty five thousand in there because. They go bananas. Uh, awesome. It was great to see, um, you know, the, the rugby itself, they actually had many, many opportunities, but unfortunately from their perspective, they weren't able to convert any of them. Their, their handling was poor. Um, just some of the some of the detail was missing and that was bound to occur. And that's why if you weren't picking the Waratahs to win by plus 13, you're probably being, uh, well, you're probably maybe justified given the Waratahs this year last year, but that was, that was a result that was pretty predictable. The Tars were, were, were reasonable without being fantastic. Um, we saw some of their players like Will Harris, uh, Jed Holloway have some really good touches. Yep. Um, great to see Will Harris back fit firing. Likewise, Jed Holloway from after a year away and, and his return and his absence and departure summed up the sorry state of affairs, but Great that he's back because he is a Waratahs player through and through. Um, in addition, I thought some good touches from Ben Donaldson, some good heads-up rugby there at times. We, we know the strength, the physicality that Isaiah Pradice is going to bring. Uh, he's carried off from where he left last year. 
I'm just curious to see whether or not it feels like Parisi is like a Samu Karevi from five years ago where he's got such strength in his ball carry, but that's all he's got. I'd love to be able to see some deception in his game. Um, he's got to build that, I think, to become a, a regular Wallaby. But all in all, you know, Michael Checker said that the performance was pragmatic, particularly in that first 40 minutes. They took the points on offer when it was there. And that, I think, was a really smart um, decision makers from the leaders like Jake Gordon, who was, again, pretty good. Um, you've got to take the points because you've got to build confidence. And, and the Tars did that. So I think big tick for them first up. Yeah, on top of the table with that bonus point. We're the only team to get it first up. So I guess, uh, you know, uh, while it might not be, and I'm sure Darren Coleman won't be declaring it the perfect start, that they can't do any more than than pick up the maximum points. So so job done there. Yeah, as you mentioned, just the Drewer lacking that polish and that cohesion, um, which you come to expect from expansion teams. The set piece got a real hiding in the first half and the handling let them down, didn't it, as you said. So they'll get better, uh, no doubt about that. Um, but just some uh, absolutely ferocious hits in the air at times and, um, just uh, letting themselves down when they did make breaks with those final passes uh, just to complete the uh, the attacking move. But, um, yeah, good start there Friday night. Uh, jump along to Saturday. Uh, as I said, uh, a weird feeling in New Zealand, isn't it? Because there's no crowds there, um, and it just sucks the energy and the atmosphere out of the occasion. Um, I certainly thought the uh, the Chiefs-Hollanders game was a little bit better. It had the backdrop of Queenstown at least to uh, to give something. But, um, yeah, the, the Crusaders-Hurricanes match inside Forsyth Bar just kind of felt soulless, really. Um, and, uh, you know, the two... You, you, you see what's happening at the Six Nations at the moment and, and the massive crowds that they're getting, and you compare that to that contrast, yeah. and it's a little bit like, well, it seems we can't downplay COVID and the pandemic and the amount of people that are getting sick, and I know you had it, you know, it's been spread right throughout all the Super Rugby teams, maybe with the exception of the Force, but uh, and of course, those that have lost their lives but it does feel like they're just a little bit behind at the moment New Zealand and, it, and it's a shame because you know for a super rugby competition that's a new expansion um to a new competition 12 format to, um it it would have been great to be able to have you know social media just spread that across far and wide but you're right solace was was the way to describe it of course wins for the Chiefs over the Highlanders Highlanders pretty disappointing I thought the Chiefs Probably my performance of the weekend, I think, looking at uh, both sides of the Tasman. Uh, of course, no Damian McKenzie this year. Um, Josh Iwani coming into the, the number 10 jersey and getting the start ahead of, of Bryn Gatlin's. But um, in a big, I guess, warning sign for the Wallabies, geez, Brady Retallick looked like he, uh, he hit the ground running, uh, ranging out in those wider channels as he likes to do uh, from phase ball. And uh, I don't know whether you saw him, but the ball he threw to put um, uh, the winger over there uh, was just a brilliant kind of uh, contorted his body, drew in two defenders and around the back it came. Uh, also, Peter Gus Soakula hurdling yeah. Aaron Smith there in the corner. That was uh, Is beautiful. that legal, legal or not? Well, that's a good question, man. And I saw uh, yesterday that New Zealand rugby's uh, refereeing team, um, and I guess by extension, the the Sansa team with the uh, the Aussie refs as well is looking at that now and I think seeking world, world rugby clarification because you, you might remember back in the Lions series in New Zealand a couple of years ago, a bull runner jumping into uh, and getting tackled in the air from a high pass. Uh, and it gave uh, who it a bit of, Owen Farrell the chance to to kick uh, the Lions further ahead there in, in Wellington in that famous match when Sonny Bill got red carded. And there was a big kind of de- debacle, well, not a debacle, but debate about around the, mm. 
that law in particular. And I guess rugby still has these little grey areas yeah. in its in its law book, and it takes things like this for you know moments like this, plays like this. Sorry for um for those to be exposed and really get a discussion going. Now it's a move that we see in the NFL almost weekly, and and that's what I wrote in the review for ESPN.com this week that uh, Peter Gus had probably been, must have been watching the Super Bowl because it was a move straight out of uh, a, a, a running back or a wide receiver in, in open field and then coming across to beat the cover. Uh, great photo work, but yeah, it just won. Well, I, don't, that, um, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's legal. And I say that because, uh, you know, we see time and time again, you know, players that maybe catch the ball, jump up to catch the ball because it's a terrible pass from their teammate. And if you make contact with them in the air, it's, it's a penalty. You know, in this occasion, yes, he's got the ball, he's running, but you can't you can't jump over someone. I don't think. I don't think you can you can change the way that you're that that you are running. Um, well, around with concussion, such a focus, rightfully so these days, Dermot. I mean, exactly. imagine if Aaron Smith is body height is say half a meter higher, and he takes Peter Gusso Akula's knee straight in the head there at force when he's leaping yeah. into the air. Um, it's yeah, it's can of worms territory. I'll be interested to see just where world rugby come back on it. Um, but yes, if you haven't seen the, uh, the picture or the video for, for that matter, go and, uh, go and have a look on social media. Yeah, particularly, be, particularly because world rugby, and it's a great point around the concussion because world rugby is encouraging players all the time to drop their body height. And here's a person, a perfect example of if you're trying to have a game for all sizes, the smallest man on the rugby field, the halfback, generally speaking, this occasion definitely is with Aaron Smith, who is trying to tackle a big man. He's dropped his height substantially, as low as he possibly can. It's how everyone is taught to tackle, and, and he's been punished because of that. Um, I think it's, that it's an important decision going forward, I think. Let's jump ahead now to Sunday, Christy, to complete a uh, bit of a look at round one. And... Um, Probably the uh, the best game of the weekend in terms of uh, its finish and its its evenness. Uh, the Brumbies just getting home and avoiding a, what would have been a massive upset against the Force. Um, probably thought the Force had done enough to win it, uh, but just lacked that little bit of polish to finish it off as uh, as Tommy Wright flew down the right wing and found Lockie Lonigan back inside to, uh, to break uh, the Force hearts there and uh, just deny them what would have been, as I said, a, a huge victory for them first up on the road. Um, one player I want to highlight here, Christy, is Fergus Lee Warner. Now, I remember thinking at the time that he'd had a whale of a game and, and what we're doing playing um, matches at 2 o'clock kickoff uh, in late summer in Australia. I know we go through this every year with some of the scheduling, but my goodness, who makes these calls has, has, has absolutely uh, astounded me. Why they'd be playing then at that time of day, certainly get, moving it to 4 o'clock gives you you know, a little bit more time for things to cool down. I know the broadcasters play a role, but still player welfare these days. We hear about it. It's completely been ignored here. But Fergus going 80 minutes um, and making that half little line break to hit the deck and, and get that pop ball up to, to Jake McIntyre, which looked like the force had, uh, had done enough to get over the line. I uh, just went and looked at his stats before um, and pretty impressive uh, on a day for a big guy like that to play 80 minutes, uh, topped the runs for the forwards, on both teams with 14 for 26 metres. Um, a really, really good showing from him first up and probably my player of the weekend. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Fergus Lee Warner. We'll come back to the Reds after because we're going to highlight another player that often goes under the radar. Fergus Lee isn't someone I don't think that goes under the radar. He, two years ago, I distinctly remember people thinking this guy's got to be in the Wallabies calculation. You know, he's 
you're right. His stats are often pretty high. He does a lot of good things. The question is for some players, is that player going to be able to, you know, we know that Super Rugby is looser. We know that the defences aren't nearly as strong. Are they going to be able to have the same, um, uh, or are they going to be able to have the ability to step up a notch to international rugby where everything is faster, everything is tighter, everything is more physical? And that's the question for Fergus Lee Warner. And for, probably, unfortunately, he's not been able to, you know, he's not been given that opportunity to come into a camp to really flex his muscles, show his worth in front of not just one Wallabies coach, but all of them. Um, I think Fergus Lee Warner reminds me a little bit of, of, of a Luke Jones in the sense that some of the things that they do at a super rugby level is really, really good. Numbers are high, but as... Steve Poyles once told me, and, and it told me a couple of times, you know, you've sometimes got to look past the numbers. And I'm not saying this is necessarily the case from Fergus Lee on the, on the weekend, because, yeah, you're right, he was very good. But is it sometimes quality, um, or is it quantity over quality or vice versa? Um, sometimes less is more. Um, you know, Isaac Rodder was, was really good around the line out, had some good touches. He also dented the line a little bit more. I think Fergus Lee did that clearly too. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting one around him because he's a guy that can play in the second row also at six, but would he be found out a little bit playing in one of those two positions for, you know, in, a, in an international against the All Blacks? I, I think he possibly could, but he's a, he's a very good super rugby player and he's, he's really the heart and soul of the Western Pools. Yeah, you're right. I, I think, and a good point there that. Perhaps, you know, we saw his teammate, Tim Anstey, go into that Wallabies 40-man um, training squad about April last year, I think it was. Um, a couple of other guys, uh, Michael Wells, uh, sorry, not Michael Wells, um, the Rebels back rower uh, from Sydney Uni, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, anyway, uh, you, you take the point there that unless you get these guys in and, and have a look, and perhaps what Fergus needs to do is have several matches like that consistently put together to really make that mark and certainly a great start. But um, what did you make of the Brumbies first up, Christy? Uh, Rusty, I thought, from their part, particularly around the lineouts, um, and uncharacteristic of, of, of what we've come to expect from them uh, throughout Super Rugby, basically. Well, Rusty, yeah, and, and it's not the first time either. Um, it's Perhaps it's not a surprise that the lineout was found out. We know that the flying is not a particularly great trainer. He's been told time and time again to work harder, to make sure that his rig is in shape. Um, I could check famously saying that a few years ago, but, you know, Falafel was left out of the Wallabies um, squads at times over the last couple of years because he needed to get fitter. Um, and, you know, I just wonder whether or not a couple of those times the ball's just slightly underthrown. Um, uh, Alan Alatoa struggled at times, but yeah, you can't discount the fact that it was very, very hot. The sweat was there. Um, uh, yeah, look, I think the, the Brumbies will get better and it's probably a really good warning shot for them that they got pushed as late as they did. Um, encouraging signs for the force, but I think Dan McKellar obviously won't be particularly impressed with that performance. He'll be proud of the, the character that they showed to hang in the fight to win, but there's not a huge amount otherwise to take from that other than getting, you know, that. I think if, if the Brumbies and any of the Australian teams, in fact, on the weekend played the New Zealand sides, I think they're dusted up. I think they're falling well, well short of it. It's, it's great that, once again, Australia has a bit of an opportunity to work their way into it because the skills that were on display just weren't up to scratch, I don't think, from, from across the weekend. 
just before we segue into Curly Beal's uh, confirmed return uh, later this year, let's touch on the Reds. Uh, great to see Harry Wilson um, hit the ground running uh, and certainly looks like, uh, well, if the Saturday night's performance was any gauge, that that decision to leave him at home from the spring tour last year, get in a full preseason, I just thought he looked in great shape, great nick, back to his free running best and, and with those extra skills we've come to expect from him. Uh, Dave Rennie wants to see a little bit more footwork at the line. He's mentioned a few times, but um, great first up uh, performance from Harry. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was everything that you want. And it was really what we saw from him in, in 2020, wasn't it? Um, uh, you know, they, they copped a bit of flack for leaving players behind. I know that Harry Wilson wasn't thrilled with it. I know that Fraser McWright wasn't thrilled with it. But oh, I think that, you know, there's, there's a reason why Australia often has guys that get to 100 Super Rugby Cats pretty damn quickly. It's because they're, generally speaking, thrown in there before they're ready, you know. It's 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 interesting at the moment. There's slight. It seems like there's a slight pullback from that in the sense of guys like Tom Liner, and let's not throw them in there. Let's have a let's have them a year or two playing Queensland Cup and 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 you know settle them there. I, I wonder whether or not that's even the best thing for Tom Liner. He looks like a class player. But you're right. Harry Wilson was was very good. Um, we saw some some good touches from even uh, Zonga there up up tight. Um, got over the, the game line, looked like he belonged a little bit more after a couple of false starts, I would think, over, over the last year or so. Um, I think the Reds lacked that balance. I, I still don't like when they play uh, Stewart there at 12 and Josh Fluke at 13. I think Josh Fluke is a really, really good player, but I think you need a harder runner at 12. Um, when you have a, a small 10 in O'Connor, small 12 in Stewart, you know, reasonably small 13 in, in Fluke, and a small but very gifted and free-flowing runner in, in Jock Campbell. Um, I don't think there's enough penetration there in the midfield that allows the Rebels' defence to really come up hard at them. And a couple of times we saw some mistakes that were made because of that defensive pressure. Um, we'll see Hunter Paisami. You know, they'll probably just try to ease him in there. Yep. You know, he's, he's a Wallaby starter. We'll see him come in there. I hope he gets opp more opportunities at 12. I know that they love Stuart. Um, another kicking option. Um, good balance, good over the ball. But I think that, you know, Hunter is clearly an international player, isn't he? Absolutely. And just, uh, as you said, good way to, to ease him back. We've known COVID's been going through that Reds camp uh, quite a bit in the preseason. He was one of those guys to contract the virus. Um, all right, Christy, let's uh, let's talk now. Kurtley Beale, um, probably the worst kept secret. Uh, I think uh, we've known for some time it was his, his intention to come back uh, and have a crack at a fourth World Cup. He voiced that repeatedly. Of course, got the uh, the call up late last year on the on the spring tour with the injuries to to Tom Banks and then uh, Reese Hodge as well, and comes in and by the end of it was just about probably the player of the match in the the narrow defeat to to Wales there, and really looked like he was back to the the Kirtley of old with the spring in his step and the he was sharp, wasn't he? With that, just that yeah. blinding acceleration he has, and and I think it as has always been the case for for Kirtley, um, that he was fit number one and he was mentally engaged. Um, yeah. I think uh, that was clear to see when he left the Waratahs to go to uh, Russing that um, he mentally, his heart wasn't in that Waratahs environment at the time under Rob Penny, given what we know now, that's probably not surprising. But um, Darren Coleman comes in and revitalises thing that probably plays a, a huge role in his decision. Um, I'll put this question to you. Is he, is he in the box seat for that 15 jersey for the England series? Um, we know 
Tom Banks uh, was pretty strong on Sunday. Reese Hodge as well, obviously something different. And we're going to throw another name in there now uh, with Jock Campbell, a guy who hasn't featured for the Wallabies, but got some mighty praise from from Brad Thorne comparing him to to Darren Lockyer. Now, of course, the Brisbane Broncos, Queensland and Australia Rugby League. Great. Um, Kirtley, where is he in that pecking order right now, do you think? Good question. Um, I, I don't... I, I think... Tom Banks, I don't think he's Australia's best fullback. However, I think that Dan McKellar has a really strong attachment to him. He was his man at the Brumbies. He's been there for a long, long time. I think Dave Rennie has respect for Tom Banks. And for that reason, I think he will get given first opportunity. But I think it's really getting to that point where it's almost now or never for Tom Banks because He's been given, you know, he's been around the international game for about four years now. And I reckon there hasn't been one complete game from him. He's shown glimpses. He's showed the odd 20 minutes, but he hasn't actually taken a game by the scruff of the neck or really owned it. Owned it like a Freddie Stewart did in his first couple of matches there for England against Australia. Um, You know, people like Tom Banks. They like the ability that he can burn players in super rugby. But the reality is he's not done that at international level. I think you need to find that out if he's a, he's your fullback um, sooner rather than later. And that's why I would give him the opportunity perhaps against England and you go, you know, you've got these three tests, show it's us it. what you've got. Because we don't need an off, another time where you get to 2023 and you're tossing up who's your fullback because we saw that that was horrendous for Australia in 2019 by having four tens and no one commanding the jersey. We can't afford another opportunity um, time when that happens. I think Reese Hodge is a he had a shocker on the weekend in his return. Um, he's got a massive boot, but his handling was was awful on the weekend. Um, but first game really back in a long while after his injury last year. Uh, he, he'll be there thereabouts. Whether or not they can squeeze Reese Hodge and Kurtley Bew on the same bench, I'm not sure. I don't think you you can. Um, because we know that they both can play 10, 15, yeah, on the wing. Um, but uh, you'd probably want another centre option in there as well, and you might even think about a 6-2 split. Kirtley's going to feature in the, in, in the series. I definitely think he's, he is going to the World Cup. Whether or not he's your starting 15 at the moment, I'm not sure, but I think he's firmly in the mix, and he's Australia's best ball player by a long, long way. We'll come to Jock Campbell in a second, but... Where, where do you see that at the at the moment? I think you're right. I, I think Banks is the one that the Dave Rennie is still hopeful he's going to become that Test player. Um, just given he the attributes he has and that extra speed and that ability to to get outside his man, and um, I think there's still question marks uh, for him under the high ball on occasion. We saw that during the France series last year. Uh, I think there was one pretty ordinary game, and then the next one was much better. Um, but he's got that pace, that real game-breaking pace. It's not something that the Wallabies are flush with and, and have been uh, for some time. Uh, so I think he still holds the number one, and he can really put the marker down through Super Rugby. And we know Dave is big on guys being at home. He gets that advantage for the England series, um, that he he will go into that as, as the number one uh, contender. Now, Reese is an interesting one, because I quite like Reese at fullback, and I think he gives you something different. Again, he had some issues under the high ball late in that um, that rugby championship when 
uh, after uh, Tom Banks was injured and then got injured himself in the Japan game. So he really didn't get the run of it. Um, and coming off the injury earlier in the year, it was a pretty checkered season for, for Reese in terms of uh, consistent playing time. So, look, it's incredibly open, isn't it? Um, and Kurtley, you know, you know, he's he's... He's a guy who probably he would say hasn't quite fulfilled, despite you know approaching the hundred test mark. He hasn't probably lived up to to what we all thought he was going to be when he burst onto the scene there in um, the mid uh, mid noughties uh, after he left school. And um, I think he's got a real desire, a real drive to come back and and do something special and and, and win big games of of test rugby because it's something that's. Um, you know, apart from kicking that match winner in South Africa a few years ago and the odd Bledisloe Cup win, it's it's been a pretty tough ride for a guy who was, you know, at one stage anointed the the saviour of Australian rugby and a ten a number ten who was going to play, you know, probably a hundred tests. Now he's going to play a hundred tests, but he's been at twelve and fifteen and and back to ten at times. And I just think this is a real opportunity for him to come in, um, engage mentally. As I said, fitness is always the key with Kurtley. Also. Um, he needs to put in, have a big pre-season for the Waratahs um, this next pre-season coming. And, and then we head into uh, to 2023. Yeah, that's the thing to remember. There's still a hell of a lot of rugby to be played between now and then. But you're right. Um, you know, the clock's probably ticking on Tom Banks um, stepping up and, and really showing us that uh, that ability to be a, a test fullback um, that Dave Rennie hopes he can because he probably hasn't uh, demonstrated that as yet. Um, mate, let's, uh, let's move on to... The uh, spring well, let's talk, we've got to, we've got to talk about Jock Campbell just quickly. Sorry, sorry, yep, Jock Campbell, uh, Brad Thorne, as I said, anointing him a, a bit like uh, Darren Lockyer on the weekend. A guy who really hasn't come in for much Wallabies buzz. Um, is he a guy you can see stepping up or getting a chance this year, perhaps? Jock Campbell reminds me. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was a, a fantastic comparison. I always thought Darren Lockyer was a better fullback than he was five eight, but he has the ability to do what Ben Smith did um, and yet another comparison. And he's been compared to Ben Smith for quite a while now, not so much Darren Lockyer, but Ben Smith. He's got a much, uh, I think his, his um, physique is much more similar to, to Darren Lockyer, but it's a really interesting one. He almost is a bit of a Mac Hansen sort of case that he hasn't been necessarily like, we know that the Reds have liked him. I thought him spending time on the wing, has played to the massive detriment of him. Yep. He's never been a winger. Um, he's been found out there. Um, he, he, and, and Ben Smith could play on the wing. Um, I, I think that Jock Campbell could actually succeed on the international stage. I don't think he'll necessarily get given an opportunity. If he was to be given an opportunity, I would love to see guys like Suli Bunavalu come back to the Reds and Bionni is on the wing, and, and the duo, the two of them, to be able to eke out a really good combination. I don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know when Bunavalu is necessarily going to come back. But I think he needs a big winger or he two does, yeah. around him because he is a slender sort of bloke. But he can do things that few other Australian fullbacks can do. And I, and if I think about Super Rugby fullbacks in the last three years, the, the player that actually excites me the most is Jock Campbell, always has. I don't think he necessarily stands out. He's the sort of guy that if you go to a cricket, tri- um, you know, an academy, and you look at all these guys and, and, and you go, oh, well, you know, this bloke looks pretty good, but he's little, he might be found out, you know, is he going to be able to power the ball, bludgeon the ball? No, but he can do things that a lot of the other fullbacks can't do. And one of those things is to be able to glide through space. Uh, and it's a really encouraging thing. I, I would love to see him get an opportunity in a 40-man squad 
so that all the selectors can go, yeah, maybe let's just do that. Let's just take this punt. And it might not be against the England series, but take him somewhere and see what he can do because I think he's a very talented player. Regardless, great to see uh, some, you know, some fringe players, not even fringe Wallabies, but uh, guys who had a, a good grounding in Super Rugby, like Campbell, like Fergus Lee Warner, um, putting some some early uh, questions out there and some uh, some uh, some good play for the Wallabies selectors and Dave Rennie to consider. Uh, righto, Six Nations, uh, Springboks, Christy, uh, the world was whipped in, or certainly social media was whipped into a frenzy last week with the the Daily Mail report from from Chris Foy. Um, saying that uh, Springboks to come in in 2025 uh, at the expense, more likely at the expense of Italy than rather than going to seven uh, seven teams, seven nations, of course. Um, about 48 hours later, maybe even 72 hours later, Six Nations certainly took their time to get a response out there to say, no, we're, we're not entertaining this. We've got no plans to uh, expand the Six Nations or cut teams. We're focused on the global season and by extension, we hear that the Nations Championship is potentially back uh, on the agenda again. Um, did you buy that response from the Six Nations or was it more of a uh, full support of the board for a coach situation? Uh, clearly, we're going to hear more about this, aren't we? I think it's a bit of both. Chris Foy is a good journo. You know, the Daily Mail in Australia is completely different to the Daily yeah. Mail in the UK who have got a number of outstanding journalists, particularly in their sports department. But uh, I think that Chris Foy is probably probably pretty close to being right it was an interesting statement the time delay was interesting mm. um but you know, there, there's a lot of stakeholders here and it's not just the broadcast holders it's not just the unions but it's now private equity firms that are being looked at as well um i think there's every chance that this is right i no, the what makes the Six Nations? I think Australia should look at the Six Nations with a fair amount of jealousy because what they've got at the moment is a great product. It's hard to know who the heck's going to win the next week. You know, we, we've just seen Scotland beat England uh, right at the death there, um, and then go down to Wales and lose to a really injury plague. They're missing half their team. Uh, we know that Ireland, you know, they beat New Zealand through the last four matches. They beat. Wales smash Wales, then they go to France and they, they lose in a, in a pretty entertaining game too. The, the Six Nations has got all the draw cards at the moment. Why you would, um, why you would bring South Africa into the mix there and, and perhaps take away from a lot of the history there, a lot of um, what makes the Six Nations the Six Nations with the bagpipes, with the, the singing, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's a great product. Uh, it it, it kind of smells a little bit like super rugby where they tried to expand beyond their means and broke what was a pretty good product. Okay, um, break, don't fix it. Yeah. And, and I see that at the moment, uh, the world calendar is a really interesting one. Um, you know, the, the balance of that, because it does fit really nicely. If South Africa does stay in Sansa, um, but you can understand why, um, why, you know, with their super rugby size up North with things like player eligibility, getting releases from clubs, it does marry up more for them being up there, but from an actual global calendar, if you're doing the nation's championships with a six and six, it certainly makes more sense and it's more logical to stay down. But, and, and also from a high performance perspective, great for Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, who have dominated World Cups to continue that. It would be a big gamble going up there north for South Africa, but at the same time, um, you know, there's, there's still, 
I think there's a fair bit more to play out here, but I wouldn't discount that that uh, report from Chris Boy whatsoever. No, interesting times. Uh, Nations Championship, uh, part of that is potentially for the rugby championship to be moved to almost align with the Six Nations at the start of the year and play perhaps maybe not early in February because we know how bloody hot that would be here in Australia, having just discussed that with the Brumbies and Force on Sunday. And um, the Six Nations is usually that first weekend in, in February that it kicks off. But could it shift to, say, a March, April timeline would you be prepared to have Super Rugby pause or would you just start the calendar fresh with the Rugby Championship and roll Super Rugby off the back of that into the July uh, nation so that you'd have a, a real bank of, of rugby there? Now, uh, this is all, you know, without having a calendar in front of you and, and knowing could you fit it all in. Um, do you think that's a chance of happening at least that the Rugby Championship could be moved forward? If that was to get the Nations Championship over the line, do you think the Sanzar Nations would do it? Yeah, I like it because not only can you do that, you can then start to think about club championships too. You know, there's going to be a lot more alignment between, um, you know, potentially Australia, New Zealand, the Islands, Nations, and being able to have a, a competition there which involves Japanese teams as well. Um, and, and you can start to go, well, the, the best of there versus the best of Europe and South Africa, uh, you know, the top two teams or top four teams go up and play. I think that... It opens up a lot if they can somehow find more alignment there. I don't mind the idea of, you know, a rugby championship taking place at the same time as Super Rugby. Um, it, yeah, I, I think there's only winnings and benefits there. You don't have to play a rugby championship game in in February, particularly during the day. You could play it in the evening and and you could get away with it. It wouldn't be too hot by that point in time. We, we know that the Super Rugby season, generally speaking, it's quite short compared to the European competitions, um, also the Japanese competition, which is which is quite short too. So there's some, you know, there, there would be a bit of teething there. It would be quite interesting how they all manoeuvre that. Um, that there, there needs to be much more alignment between, between the North and the South. Um, we know that they're trying to make sure that every test counts, and I quite like that idea, and I like anything that can see more um, opportunities for promotion, relegation, and more opportunity for tier two, three sides to get um, opportunities, more funding. I think that can only benefit rugby. Absolutely, uh, very much. Uh, watch the space with that one. Our meetings uh, in London uh, next month with World Rugby, and I'm sure that's probably number one on the agenda. Uh, mate, before we wrap up this week, what are you looking forward to in uh, in week two of Super Rugby Pacific? It's pretty hard to go past the the, the old rivalry in Australian rugby, the Reds and Waratahs uh, on Friday night, and of course the Southern Derby, albeit without any crowds, so it's really going to lose that that atmosphere again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it will. Um, but yeah, you're right. The Reds and Tars um, will be a very interesting game, and I think the Reds, the Reds are, are obviously have to be favourites. The matchup, the the set piece matchup, is going to be huge. Good opportunity to see how Ben Donaldson goes again. Um, we haven't really spoken too much about those tens. We know that Noel Orsia had a couple of good touches. I liked the pace and the injection that the force had at times with Isaac Fines coming off the bench. Jake McIntyre had a really good couple of touches when he came back on, uh, which is pleasing to see. But, but Ben Donaldson's the sort of guy that I think has a really bright international future. The, the Waratahs need to make sure that they get some form of parity up front. It's always the way. But if they can do that, handling ball security discipline they're the couple of things that you're going to really be focusing on um, this week I think because 
you know, the Waratahs um, front row, pretty good, should match up okay. Taniel Tupo is the big one. I'm looking forward to seeing how Angus Blythe goes and continues. I think that guy's got a, a really good future ahead of him as well. Big guy, a little bit of Brad Thorne about him. Love just to see that physicality and that side to his game continue to shine through. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, get to Leichhardt Oval on Friday night. Uh, if you can in Sydney, uh, Waratah's trying to make that a bit of a, uh, a home base for this Schieberg before, of course, the, the SFS returns. Uh, certainly, hopefully, for a test later this year, but then a full Waratah's season next year. Uh, as ever, team, uh, yeah, give us a shout on on social media, anything you want us to talk about or any points from today's potty. Uh, we're going to be doing them weekly this year, as we said. Uh, so really looking forward to a big year and uh, continues this week with Super Rugby Pacific. Christy, mate, thanks as ever. Look forward to following your work on Fox Sports and Code Sport throughout the year. And uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jake.